This is the Ask a Vet podcast series from Solar Power World. Welcome to another edition of Ask a Vet. I'm Kathy Zip, Senior Editor of Solar Power World. I'm proud to feature one of the OGs of the solar industry, Dan Sugar, CEO and founder of solar tracking company NextTracker, as this month's solar veteran. With more than 30 years in the industry, Dan has been called a pioneer of the commercial solar market. With impressive success leading companies including Powerlight and Solaria, even before NextTracker, he's also been called the King Midas of solar. Many of my past interviewees have said, you got to talk to Dan. So I'm excited to finally be able to connect with the man who says he has silicone pumping through his bloodstream. So Dan, thanks for being here. Oh, my pleasure, Kathy. Thanks for having us on the program. Sure. So I was looking through some of your LinkedIn comments and posts, and I admire how you respond to some of the so-called haters. Uh, We kind of encounter that a lot on our social channels, too. And it's amazing that for all the support solar gets, there's still those few select people who seem to really have it out for solar for some reason. So I just wanted to say I admire how you answer calmly and logically, because I know that's hard to do sometimes. Yeah, there's two categories of those types of folks on online. They're either folks that you know are very strong fossil fuel supporters that are in the industry, or they're, you know, clearly there's some trolls that are out there by some of the funded by some of the the industries that are incumbent industries. So you know, most of them are in the former category. And usually I thank people for their response to our, you know, to just engage and put a comment out and also for their passion. Uh, Just this morning, there was a a post, uh, GE was involved with a new, very large coal facility in Pakistan. And, you know, there were some posts out like the the GE team and GE is a great company, but some posts out with the team like, hey, this is great. Congratulations. I'm like, It'd be more a more exciting story if you know it was about GE building a high efficiency gas plant or even better a high efficiency renewable wind or solar plant. Some of the folks that engaged from the the coal industry were like, "Hey, you know, this isn't a smoke and mirrors technology. You know, this is honest power and those kinds of things." And I like to thank people for their passion for whatever they're engaged in, but then really encourage them to apply that passion to the renewable energy industry um, and then quote real facts. Like in this case, we had recently finished a 754 megawatt project, the Villanueva project in Mexico for our client NL. So I was like, hey, you ought to, you know, get your head into what's happening. I mean, here's a project, this Villanueva project that's, you know, was priced in the low $30 per megawatt hour with no subsidies. I mean, coal can't come close to that price level with none of the environmental issues. So it's sort of like, here it is. And so for me, it's an opportunity to respond with a positive message. And I think we ought to channel folks' energy into like, well, here's a way to create jobs, make money, build fantastic projects that's environmentally responsible. Very good points. It's it's better to just state the facts and and educate rather than than start a whole fight on there because nobody likes reading that. I read a little bit about your background, um, that you got your bachelor's of science in electrical and electronics engineering, and then you got your MBA, which is kind of perfect for a career leading solar companies. I know that you grew up in New York. What brought you out the West Coast? It was actually dumb luck. I was going to engineering school um, in upstate New York, and then one of the PG&E engineering managers was an alumni of 
my college, which was uh, Rensselaer Polytechnic, RPI. And he would routinely go back and interview college students to intern at PG&E. And so I very randomly saw an opportunity to take this interview and maybe get a summer job in California. And I had really very little interest in moving to California. I took the interview and fortuitously got the opportunity to work the summer of 1985 for PG&E in San Francisco. And it was quite a, uh, a culture shock and a wonderful one. Became excited about California and the Bay Area. And at the end of that experience, PG&E actually extended an offer to me to come back starting in 1986 once I graduated. And so I ended up doing that. A lot of my friends were moving away for jobs and I'd broken up with my girlfriend, and so <laughs> I thought it was a great, great opportunity to make a make a clean start out west. It's cool. I drove across the country with all my all my stuff in the car and settled down in the in the Bay Area, and it was uh, awesome. And yeah, when I was working, I worked for PG&E initially doing conventional electric planning and operations for transmission and distribution, and then in '88 saw there was an opportunity to take a one-year assignment in working in solar and alternative energy. And so I did that, but I, I never went back. <laughs> and so PG&E at the time had the arguably the world's leading utility R&D program. And there was a wonderful person that led that department. His name was Carl Weinberg, who's been a mentor to myself and many of my colleagues, and that was an incredible ecosystem. And I, I went there for about five years. I some amazing projects. Uh, I, I was managing this small group of about six people, engineers, and we were involved with really a lot of cutting-edge stuff at the time that ended up coming to commercial fruition. We got involved with photovoltaics. We also got involved with solar thermal power generation, uh, with solar troughs and, and so forth. We built the world's first molten carbonate fuel cell interconnected to the grid with some other colleagues at PG&E and others. Uh, we did early electric vehicle work. We did lean burn reciprocating gas engines. We did superconducting magnetic energy storage. And so I got involved with this, this awesome ecosystem and R&D platform. We took measurement and verification work really seriously. We did a lot of uh, controlled experiments. Uh, with our group, we published, my, my little team, we published about 70 or 80 R&D full reports, uh, which was a lot for such a small team, and got to really understand the industry. And in that process, really fell in love with photovoltaics because there's no moving parts and no fuel. You know, it makes energy, and that's the only thing ever inventor discovered that does that. So that's how I began my love affair with photovoltaics. Right. I was, I was actually going to touch on that. And just a little bit more for anyone not familiar, Dan developed the solar tracker technology at APS and NWP corporations before going on to Powerlight Corporation and making the company the biggest commercial installer in the U.S. And then Powerlight was acquired by SunPower Corporation in 2006 for millions. 
and you stayed on leading SunPower until moving on to solar module manufacturer Slaria. And unhappy with the trackers available, you developed its own tracker technology, which resulted in founding Next Tracker, which was sold to Flextronics for $330 million. And again, you know, before all the PV and all the deals and acquisitions worth over a billion was that love story. I, I have heard how, you know, you've talked about how amazed you were the first time that you encountered photovoltaics while you were working at PG&E, as you said. Can you talk a little bit more about those first impressions of solar and how it's developed into a passion that has grown so much? Even though you you could probably retire from it right now, you don't. I really appreciate that. I'll speak to that, but then I'd like to visit how these technologies were developed were the result of amazing teams. Yeah, so I think, I, you know, the first time I'm like holding the solar cell, I'm like, okay, well, when does it run out of electrons? And you know, I, I realized, wow, this thing, it basically really never runs out. It, it essentially just it uses energy from the sun, which are photons, which elevate the voltage of these, you know, electrons that are running around atoms and silicon or whatever the material is. And then, you know, you have a closed circuit and it sort of runs forever until the, you know, the packaging, which runs out, the solar panel packaging around the cell is impressive. If you if you look at a crystalline panel and you take out these solar cells that are inside and stack them up in your hand, it's about the thickness of a deck of cards. And so you can hold that in one hand quite easily, those cells. And over its life, that will generate the energy equivalent of burning five to 10 tons of coal. You know, So if you could imagine you know, a garage full of like five automobiles or something, that sort of weight equivalent of coal, you have to burn that to, you know, make what this little deck of cards of silicon cells in your hand would produce. And so, you know, when I sort of was able to understand that, I I just became enamored with that concept. And then that was sort of point one. Point two was that the technology is just so modular. You can have a, you know, giant plant in the desert, or you can have a much smaller plant roof or something in the middle, which might be a community-sized facility. And when you're able to distribute power generation into the electric grid, it provides a lot of benefits to the grid in terms of reduced losses. And the correlation between when solar is available is pretty good. And so that provided some other benefits to the grid. So that, that was how sort of the, the conceptual love affair sort of began. But I, I want to go back to the teams and thank you for highlighting some of the accomplishments we, we've had, and I really underscore we. The idea of trackers predates me by at least one or two decades. And I've worked with great people to evolve, commercialize. We have invented some new trackers. But you know, early in my career, when I started, there's a great engineer, Jeff Shingleton, was really uh, pioneering the idea of, of linking tracker rows together, sort of like Venetian blinds and using a mechanical apparatus to move them. And so uh, we cultivated a, a friendship. We ultimately licensed that tracker when I went to Powerlight, that concept. We, we, we commercialized it at scale and built it. Um, but, you know, we really worked together with, with him. Prior to that, a great engineer named Ron Matlin, when I was at Advanced Photovoltaic Systems, APS, this, this idea of what we called the Delta Tracker, sort of a tilted tracker. Later, when I went to Powerlight, we further 
evolved that into the T20 tracker. We built that at the Nellis Air Force Base. And then here at Next Tracker, we had decided that the there's an opportunity to further evolve in the industry where the trackers were. I was open to any idea as long as it was individual road trackers because we'd built hundreds of linked road trackers and while they work and uh, have merit, there was opportunity using modern electronics and control technology to uh, go to the individual road tracker, which provides a whole additional range of benefits to customers. So I was open to anything as long as it was individual row. And then our chief operating officer at Next Tracker, Tyron Hardy, um, recruited Alex Au, who's been our chief technology officer and co-founder of Next Tracker. Alex really had the idea of doing a mechanically balanced design, and we did that, which allowed other innovations such as self-power tracker and so forth. So for me, you know, it's really about building a great team of extraordinary people and being open to new ideas. When you, when you have high-performing teams is being able to, you know, listen and letting the best idea win rather than the loudest voice win. And so that's been something we've been focused on in our culture, uh, both at this company, X-Tracker, and our prior companies. It's hard stuff, but it's really important. And that's, I think, more than, you know, our tracker technology, the current uh, tracker we're running with or anything else. It's more the ability to innovate and evolve and have that culture that's helped us win. I think that's so great. I've heard you say things like that before in other interviews about how you really do place that value on building a team. I think a lot of companies miss out on that and how it's important to do that before even building a product. So I'm wondering what kind of advice you can share with our audience of solar contractors to looking to, to build their teams. How do you go about building a good team? I'd like to draw a parallel to music. I, I play guitar. I'm really passionate about that. And it's kind of like, you know, you've seen a lot of these great bands. They'll have a great album, and then the band goes away, or they'll have like a one-hit wonder. Yeah. So it's really, how do you sustain that? And for me, it's also similar to having relationship with anyone in your life, whether it's your spouse or, you know, your kids or whatever. I mean, you can be very passionate. You can have a lot of energy. You can have a vision about where you want to go. But for me, the enduring companies and the really great companies are ones that there's a team that's able to evolve the company and letting divergent views have a voice. I think a great leader is someone that allows these spectrum of views to be aired, but then integrates that with open mind, tries to come to a consensus to the degree that can't happen, makes a, a decision quickly, and then moves forward on that, but that all views are considered irrespective of what level in the organization they came from. And if you do that, then people feel like they have a say in the outcome of the company. And then if there's a problem, they're able to articulate a solution without being shut down on it. I think that's super important. And that folks are recognized. And when they make contributions into evolving the company. 
So nothing's ever perfect. You know, there's a lot of stress involved in growing a business. There's a lot of competitive forces. There's macroscopic forces. You know, we've in the solar industry been dealing with all kinds of tariffs and issues like that that can change and disrupt what's happening with a given product or working in a specific geography. And so there's a lot of those stresses. But I think the other thing is that's really important in a team environment and in building an entrepreneurial company is really encouraging folks to take measured risk and then having their back if things don't work out. If there's a mistake or a problem, it's not really at all cost to avoid sort of a scapegoating mentality. Rather, hey, we're all in this together. We all went in the size open. We're innovating. We tried something. It didn't work out. That's okay. We're going to solve it together, and then we're going to move forward. And so that piece is really important. And then having that same view with customers is is basically being really transparent with customers. And I've always found issues are not a problem as long as you're very upfront and then transparent about what they are. And then folks are okay. You just want to focus on, okay, we had an issue. We're going to solve it. And basically then we've developed fierce loyalty with a wide variety of customers geographically and across applications and spectrums that they know that they're going to get a straight answer out of us and that we really care about their experience in working with us. So for me, it's it, it's it's kind of one pick mosaic, whether you're playing in a band, whether you're you know in a family, whether you're at a company or dealing with a customer. It's about functional communication, trying to focus on what the issues are, solve them and solve them quickly, and then innovating and encouraging new ideas. I don't think there's any like magic to anything I said. It just requires moving forward deliberately and then having an intention about what, what our mission is, which is to mainstream solar as the largest sources of energy, period. We used to say we want to be the largest source of new energy, and we won that, at least in the U.S., but I think probably globally, too, last year, solar was right up there. And so that's kind of staggering that we got there. And then, you know, we, as we were transitioning to that a few years ago, it was like, well, let's think bigger. We don't want to be the largest source of new energy. We want to be the largest source of energy, period. And I totally believe it's achievable. So kind of touching on that, you've said that you often underestimated the growth of solar. With current market conditions like the tariffs, do you think that solar will continue to grow and surprise you? Yes, I am totally convinced of it. A friend of mine runs a large power marketing entity and has recently went out for, for solicitations and has received a lot of proposals for, for solar and solar plus storage at staggeringly attractive numbers, numbers that are less than half the cost of new fossil fuel-based generation options. I mean, why would someone proceed with a coal or a gas facility when it's approaching double or let's say at least 50% more than the cost of a renewable energy facility that has so much less risk. And I see no end in sight with things that are happening with the technology to both improve costs and improve performance. 
we're very focused at NextTracker on both, but especially on, on the performance piece. There's been a lot of costs wrung out of the industry. And so, you know, now the, the, the frontier has been on performance. Back in the, in the early 90s, at, at when I was at PG&E, we had developed the, uh, some advanced algorithms for tracking the sun. We came up with this backtracking algorithm in partnership with a company called Integrated Power Corporation and Paul Garveson and others who were there, Dave Panico, who were there at that time. We've been thinking for you know literally decades about better ways to follow the sun and in diffuse conditions, overcast conditions, you actually don't want to be exactly perpendicular to the astronomical position of the sun, but rather at optimized angles. And so we acquired a machine learning company a couple years ago called Brightbox that we brought in this sort of advanced algorithmic work to be able to make decisions about the right angle to track at. We've been able to generate more energy from these systems that and deal with geographic features on site. And so for me, tracking is great for when solar goes to scale in general because you're handling the shoulders. Customers need power early in the morning and late in the afternoon. So that tracking really helps. And then these algorithms we call true, we actually, our brand name is true capture for those that provides even more energy on the shoulder periods. So, you know, that's an example in this particular case, we can get two to 6% more energy. And so that helps drive more solar into the market. Um, We've also been working a lot on energy storage technology. We've developed with a partner called Avalon Battery, a vanadium flow system that's DC coupled, which provides benefits for greater efficiency and allows solar, you know, ultimately energy that came from the sun to continue powering customers into the evening, uh, especially in that early evening peak that happens at, you know, 7, 8, 9 p.m. That's a technology that we launched in the last year. We're shipping to customers. It's still relatively early in the technology adoption curve and the cost picture. We'll keep evolving that. So I have nothing but optimism that's grounded on facts for the prospects of solar. And I think we're going to see ongoing exponential growth in this industry. I love your your optimism and positivity. And there's a lot of people in the industry that, that share that as well. And I'm glad that you mentioned storage because we've had solar power world since 2011. And then we also started a storage publication that I'm working on called Energy Storage Networks. And I love going to the storage shows and recognizing so many companies from solar in there, such as Next Tracker. I'm wondering, after being in PV for in solar for, for 30 years, is storage a, a new exciting adventure for you? Wondering what your experience has been in it so far and any advice you can share with other companies, solar contractors, when they're trying to navigate that that storage market? I have done some storage projects in the past. We did a fairly large project in Hawaii about eight or 10 years ago when I was president of Sun Power Corporation and some other projects back in the day. Uh, the technologies evolved a lot. We're working really with two technologies, lithium ion, which is the prevalent technology, the vast majority of systems are using that. That has advantage. You get a lot of bang for your buck with with the lithium. 
we're also working with the vanadium flow. And what I really love about the vanadium system is that it has a life that's commensurate with the life of a photovoltaic plant, which is two to three decades. And that, to me, has a lot of appeal. And so we've been doing a lot of what we've really been focused on. Our, our, this has been driven by our CTO, Alex, is really a lot of good technical work on testing and validation. We have a center of solar excellence test facility adjacent to Next Tracker headquarters in Fremont. And that's been a great platform for us to test these systems in the real world and see what they do and us to demonstrate that to customers. So we're very practical with actual experience before we start fielding a lot of hardware. And then now we that we have, you know, over 10 years equivalent cycle life under our belt with these technologies, we're, we can go out and look customers in the eye and tell them what to expect with these systems. So I don't see it as much as a, a bright, shiny object, more as a, a way to get more solar into the grid and us to be able to really crank back any need to do additional fossil fuel power. That's been sort of my guiding principle is to really transition from fossil to renewable power. I'm also a big supporter of wind energy, and I like the way solar and wind work together in a lot of geographies. So storage is helpful on the wind side as well. I'm less a fan of solar or of storage by itself. If it's not coupled with renewables, we entertain some projects there, but we're really focused on the the combination of solar and renewable power. Right, definitely a good match with those two technologies. So you've given great insight and advice so far. I want to end with kind of a more fun question. I know that you're very involved in philanthropy. You are on the Sierra Club board. Um, you're a sci-fi fan. You mentioned you played guitar. What other passions or, or things we don't necessarily know about Dan Sugar, the, the solar executive, can you share? Obviously, my family is top passion. And then I really love the outdoors. We live on the ocean in Pacifica, and you're really blessed to have this. Every day, it's like it takes your breath away to see those you know, sunrises and sunsets and have the window open and hear the ocean. It, we're very fortunate to be able to have this, you know, this beautiful environment, to be able to go outside. So I, I just think we want to preserve this. Have any, any interest in astronomy and you start looking out, you, know, you realize, wow, what we have here is really special. And so it's a gift and you know, something we want to take care of. I love that. I share that passion for sure. I can be super stressed and try to work out and try to do all these things to relax. But once I, I'm out in nature, go for a walk or go camping or, you know, go, go by the shore. So we have Lake Erie out here. I automatically feel, you know, grounded again. And I don't know, it just, it just does something to you. It's, it's a wonderful thing. I agree. Yeah, Lake Erie. I mean, that's, you know, having grown up in upstate New York, those lakes, I mean, those are the result, as you know, of you know, melted glaciers, right? right? So there's no better evidence of the impact of climate than that. What's happening right now is pretty scary and not to end on sort of a spooky note here or anything, but, you know, I just saw yesterday the report, heat records have been set again this summer, again, and right. it's been like 
something like 19 out of the last 20 years, you know, we're seeing this stuff, and it's not a fluke. I really feel like we've accomplished a lot. Here, I just feel like we need to redouble our efforts in solar and get more done. Fortunately, the numbers work for us. I'm very optimistic of, of our ability. Love that ending with saying, let's, let's get some things done. We'll continue to do that. So great talking with you, Dan. Very interesting background and, and insight. So thank you very much for being here. Appreciate so much, Kathy, the interview, the opportunity to chat with you. This has been another edition of Ask a Bet. Join us each month as I, SPW editor Kathy Zip, bringing you the unique perspectives and insights of those who have spent a decade or more in solar. Thanks for listening to the Solar Power World podcast. Join us online for more podcasts, videos, and great editorial content at solarpowerworldonline.com. And don't forget to share your thoughts on social media. Catch you next month.